Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Happy New Year! Happy, happy New Year! How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy 2019. Here we are. Here we are. We're back. And it's halfway through January. And did you make any baking resolutions? You know, I did, man. Uh, well, okay. So last year, my resolution was like to gain a skill or like to check some things off and really try a bunch of um, free from bakes, which I did. And I feel really happy about. This year is a little less of like a specific genre and just things that I've had on my to bake list for an embarrassingly long time. One of them, and it's just like, I just have to check these off sometime in the year is a lemon drizzle cake. I've never made a lemon drizzle cake. I feel a little embarrassed to say that for any British listeners. And then, well, on that theme, another British bake is I have made a Victoria sponge and I love them, but I can never stop myself. I end up decorating them and like treating it like a normal layer cake. And so the challenge this year is I have to make a Victoria sponge cake and just like keep it simple. Put the whipped cream, put the jam, sandwich it, maybe a little powdered sugar on top and then whoa, Nelly, that's it. Uh, and then at the prompting of Erin Clarkston, uh, what is it? Cloudy kitchen on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. So she's been our guest before. She loves German buttercream. You guys, she talks about it a lot and I keep going, Ooh, I have to get around to that, get around to that. And then I just never have. So German buttercream is going to happen. I'm going to make her recipe too. So yeah, you're killing me. You're, I'm just dying right now. I want to eat everything you just said at this moment. Well, just go right ahead. Chow down, Jeremiah. (laughs) (laughs) Or can you? What's going on in your world? (laughs) I know you guys. See, sometimes we have these sneaky chat conversations because we're for real friends. So I know why he's drooling over there. Tell everyone (laughs) what's going on in your world. So like many people in January, I have realized that the balance in my nutritional life has swung too far in one direction. And usually I'm pretty good at keeping that balance between all the wonderful things you can eat as a baker and being healthy um, in check. But this year I kind of let it go. And we do get this question quite often is how do you stay healthy? How do you stay fit as you're baking throughout the week? And I definitely am a person who comes from a place of yes, and that can get me into trouble sometime because this year I'm like, I'm going to eat it all. (laughs) And (laughs) while I didn't gain 100 pounds or anything crazy like that, thank goodness, um, I do feel like it's it's a good time of year to switch that balance. And so I'm doing a very free from diet. It's it's a a month long challenge of workouts and um, nutrition, and I'm in the midst of a sort of 10-day keto situation, which is a diet I thought I'd never, ever try. Um, but I'm, a, I'm halfway through, and it's, it's not so bad. It's wonderful that you can indulge in things like cheese and bacon and avocado. Um, but I do miss all the cakes, and I'm still baking, and it's really hard to just have to like literally taste a crumb just to make sure things are going in the right direction. But it's good to realize that, hey, I can say no to things instead of saying yes, and to really appreciate them when I come through this month and decide, you know, how am I going to now approach my new balanced life? 
I'm super proud of you, friend. I feel like it's really hard to check yourself, but you're doing it. And another thing we were talking about earlier is that both of us share this. We're really good at committing to things. If we decide we're going to do it, we'll almost like, you know, really intensely never break the rules and really get in there and do it. And I think in this case, it's going to be a huge strength for you. You're going to do it and then come out on the other side and then maybe come from the place of yes and no. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And I think a big part of it too, is I've always been someone who's been into the gym, but this year it hasn't, it slid down my priority list. And I think if you're going to bake a lot, you have to just make those those sort of um, agreements that if I'm baking and eating, I've got to be at the gym. Or if I have, you know, this delicious, whatever slice of cake, then that means the next meal has to has to has to compromise in some way. And so I think that's what I'm going to be looking forward to feeling good about when I finish this situation. And before I would just be saying yes, and now I'll be saying, like you said, yes, and no. You're so dynamic now. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode, I feel like flows perfectly in our lives. And like this time of year, it's inclusive baking, which really can totally be a year round kind of thing. Our guest for today is Angela of Goldenrod Pastries. And you guys, I'm so excited to share this interview with her. It's a really great conversation that we had She uses this term inclusive baking, and you're going to hear straight from her all what that means. But we talked a lot of talked about a lot of different free from bakes, and one of the ones we talked about I've already made. Um, Have you guys ever heard of depression era cake? And I'm curious, had you ever heard of it, Jeremiah? I had never heard of this before. I haven't. I'm excited to hear you talk about it. Okay. So Angela brought this up and you'll hear us chat about it. But since then I've had the chance to make it and it's basically a chocolate cake that came from necessity when ingredients are really expensive. A lot of animal products are, you know, higher on the cost list. I think we talked about this before on the podcast with, um, craft cakes, Charlotte before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With, with Brigitte. Yeah. So Anyway, this cake is made with no eggs, no butter, basically no animal products, no milk, and it's fantastic. I really, really like it. Yeah. I was telling my husband if I was at a party, that's kind of always my, like, I guess, measuring stick for something is if somebody served it to me, if it's a, a free from kind of bake, would I be like, what's up with this? Why is it so grainy? Or why does it have this strange flavor? Or, you know, I feel like a lot of vegan bakes lean heavily on coconut products. Like, you know, sometimes I taste coconut. I'm like, why didn't they say it was a coconut chocolate cake or something like that? And it just tastes like a chocolate cake. And the crumb is really nice. It's not perfectly consistent. I will say that like there's some smaller air bubbles and larger air bubbles. And I feel like I tried to be really gentle with the mixing. So I think that's probably the recipe. I'd have to make it again to fully confirm, but the taste is great. It's vegan. And it's one that I would definitely make and eat again for sure. Will you run down the ingredient list? Yeah, absolutely. So there's nothing strange in it. It's probably everything that you already would have in your pantry. You mix up the dry ingredients, which is like flour, sugar, cocoa powder. I can't remember which leavener it used, but it was baking powder or baking soda. I think baking powder. Um, I don't know if I said salt, but there's a little tiny bit of salt. So you get that all mixed together. Then you add in your wet, which is oil and you could use, you know, any sort of liquid at room temperature oil of your choice. 
there's um, water and a little bit of apple cider vinegar, which will help oh, with wow. the lift and the fluff. And also I feel, feel like it had a slight, you know, that tang, like a buttermilk cake would have. Yeah. And I think that that's it. Oh, the recipe I used had optional coffee added. I looked online, almost all the recipes are the same. They come from, you know, heritage cookbooks and things like that. So yeah, simple, right? Like, yeah, kind of nice. I love that. Yeah. It's a bit of food history that we can experience today. That's really cool. Yeah. I love when old is new. So um, yeah, a cake I'd highly recommend. And maybe even on a day when you're baking for someone who's vegan, or maybe even on a day when you just ran out of eggs and you're going, I really want chocolate cake and I don't have eggs on hand. It's, it's good enough that I think you would happily serve it to someone who eats vegan on a consistent basis, or if you're just reducing animal products, or if you just don't have eggs. So there's my commercial for depression era chocolate cake, which is also, oh, by the way, it goes by the name of crazy cake. I think Angela may say that too. So if you hear us talk about it, um, that's the one. Hi, Angela. Welcome to Flower Hour. Thanks. It's so fun to be chatting with you guys. Welcome. We're really excited for today. Awesome. I am too. All right. So we've got a lot lot to ask you and a lot to learn from you. And I want to just dive right in. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you at the Cherry Bomb 100 party where you were being honored earlier last year. And you mentioned um, that you are an inclusive baker and that you do inclusive baking and your bakery operates under that idea. And I wanted our listeners to get to hear straight from you what that means and kind of describe it for all of us. Yeah. So, um, the cherry bomb event was so fun. I love that event. It was so fun to meet you. Um, and so inclusive baking kind of came up for me in the last year as we were trying to define what we do at goldenrod pastries. So we cater mostly to gluten-free dairy-free and vegan diets or preferences, but most of our customers are not gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, Um, but I just want to make it inclusive to the people who are. So my business started because I just didn't want to turn away people who had a certain dietary preference or restriction and wanted a birthday cake and they couldn't find it anywhere. And I figure, you know, I got into baking because I wanted to make people happy and I love making birthday cakes. And if I could find a way to make food delicious, make cake delicious, cookies delicious for as many people as I could, why wouldn't I want to do that? And the term inclusive, I feel like just covers so many different areas in life and the world that we're in right now. I think that it sends a really strong message for like what my business stands for and what we're doing, um, that the two just kind of went together really well for me. I I want people to be able to eat and be happy. I want to be able to include as many people as we can. And I think the direction that my business is going is, is all about inclusivity. And so it just, it made a lot of sense to me. I absolutely love it. As somebody who, I don't really have any dietary restrictions. Sometimes you hear certain terms like gluten-free or vegan or something, and you think, well, that's not for me. And so it's nice. Yeah. I think in that way, from the baking perspective, for everybody to feel included, just to have something delicious, no matter what your your restrictions may be. And then also, like you said, just kind of setting the tone for your bakery. It's 
a beautiful tone to set. Yeah. And I think that it's just so important. Um, you know, we, we are kind of introducing this term as time passes a little bit. I'm not just like when people walk in the door, Hey, welcome to Goldenrod. It's an inclusive bakery. But I think that people <laughs> really understand it when they come in because we always ask people if they have any allergies or restrictions when they come in just to kind of normalize that question for people. And there are people who sometimes get scared away by like the vegan bun selection that we have or the gluten-free cake selection. And then they try it and they realize that you really, you can't tell a difference. And I think that that will help people broaden their horizons and kind of accept the way that a lot of people are choosing to eat or have to eat. And as somebody who does have to be dairy-free, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed when you go out to eat or feel like you're causing a problem because you have to ask certain questions. And I think that a lot of people who have to eat a certain way or choose to eat a certain way, they feel that way a lot when we go out. And I would just, I really want to help normalize the idea that people can eat however they want or need to eat. This is the way of the future. We have a new restaurant in Sacramento that Kate, that all the food is either vegan or highly heavy with meat. And so it's, it's so that everyone can go and no one can, everyone can feel included. And I think it's brilliant. The word inclusive has such a different emotional or just if it hits you differently than the word free from. And Amanda and I were talking about that early. And I just think that's, that's, it's really brilliant, but take us back before we dive into all, all of your expertise of how you started baking. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do. So I don't remember much before age six, but that's when the food network started when it came out. And it was the only thing I wanted to watch. Emeril Agassi was like a hero to me. And like, um, Two Hot Tamales. Do you remember those ladies? Susan Feniger and was it Mary Beth? I can't remember her last name. But I just remember these pioneers on food TV and all my friends were watching other things and doing other activities. And all I wanted to do was learn how to cut an onion and be in the kitchen with my mom. And it's kind of an age-old story of everybody in the in the food industry, I think. But I knew from that age that this is the only thing I wanted to do. My grandmother on my dad's side is a Polish immigrant and she made really amazing dinner rolls and peach coffee cake. And I just remember wanting so badly for her to teach me how to make that dough. And I remember feeling so honored when she did teach me how, because she would kind of ignore me or like brush it off when I would ask and ask and ask. And finally she taught me and I felt like I had finally like crossed a line into like being allowed to learn these recipes. And once I got my hands in that dough, in that yeasted dough, I was just like addicted. And um, that's kind of the early years. I started working in professional kitchens when I was 16 and I was at a country club um, and, you know, the pastry chef, as they do, have a temper and stormed out one day and I was 16 or 17 at that point and they handed over the department to me and um, I loved it. I loved, even though we were doing not everything from scratch, I loved the rush of being in a kitchen and, and the control and the power of building something and seeing it go out to people. Um, and I started working in more bakeries in the middle of my bachelor's degree in food science, I went to get my pastry arts degree at the French Culinary Institute, now the International Culinary Center in New York. Worked in some kitchens there. And yeah, about five years, seven years later, I opened Goldenrod. It's so, so that's amazing. My, yeah. That's my, like, sorry, that's kind of long, but um, 
yeah, that's, that's my little story. I love all of it. I think it's cool that your grandma made you work for that, that recipe. Like you didn't just <laughs> ask her once and she's like, come on, little Angela, let me teach you. She's like, no, you ha- you have to like really want it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She just like, and she only gave me one part at a time. So she gave me the dinner roll part first and taught me how to knot them. And they were like cute little um, knots. And then she did like some three like little clover buns as well. And then I think it was like another five years until she taught me how to use the same dough to make peach coffee cake. And I was like, come on lady. Can we like get on with this? <laughs> but hilarious. she just like held it so close to her. And I think she finally like came to terms with like, she wouldn't be the one who made it forever. And I think that like, we all have those recipes that are so hard to pass on. And I know I feel that in my own kitchen with my staff, like teaching it to someone else means that I don't get to make it all the time. And I'm sure that my grandmother had that same feeling. She was partially protective and will she make it the right way, but also like, I'm not going to be the one who's responsible for this anymore. Such an emotional and interesting, very identifiable thought. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stop thinking about a yeasted peach coffee cake. Is that right? Yes. So it's incredible. (laughs) So it is a a layer of sweet roll dough on the bottom. And then you let that rise a little bit and it's canned peaches, canned sliced peaches. I've tried it with fresh. I've tried preserving my own and doing it that way. It, It does not stand up. So I use canned yellow peaches and then I make a coconut oil crumble with like sugar and flour and coconut oil, vanilla and salt, and put that over the top. Um, it's incredible. So you have one of the tricks is that you have to put the peaches on right before it's ready to go in the oven. You can't let it rise with the peaches on it because it kind of congeals into this weird like jelly mess. But if you put it on right before it goes into the oven, it's just this perfect separation of like a thick yeasted dough layer and then like really lovely peach layer that gets kind of melted into the crumble. I'm dying over here. Poetry. <laughs> it's <so> poetry. Good. <laughs> oh my so God. we sell that in the bakery every na- day now. And I think about my grandma every time I make it. And it's like this thing that we get a lot of, um, there's a lot of like Eastern European people who live in this part of the country, especially this part of Nebraska. And they'll come in and like some, uh, I have a specific German customer. She's like, this reminds me of what my grandmother made when I grew up in Germany. Or I have like a Polish customer and she's like, this is Polish, right? And I was like, how did you know? And she's like, this is exactly what I had growing up. Um, So it's really cool to like make something that now, like all of my customers love, we just started doing it gluten-free last week. And then these specific people remember it from their childhood in Eastern Europe. I love that. I love that. I mean, if I see a bakery doing something like that, I'm so much more attracted than to the bakeries doing all the same flavored cupcakes. Um, I, I, I think that's so special. I'm so happy that the community is, you know, there for you. And oh, just that's just amazing. Yeah, and it's fun when something has a story as well. Like I yeah. think that there's so like food is a story, and I think that like the stories that we have to tell sometimes get lost along the way, like in social media, it's just like people want to see a picture, but like this, 
I think so much of what I see and there's no like harm in this is like just creating something that content for content sake. But like I got into food because I love the story and I love where it came from and the story that I have to go along with it. And I think like, we cannot forget to tell those stories because as bakers, like we started because of something other than content. We started because we love the way that like dough feels or the way you see somebody smiles when they eat what you make or who taught you something. I think we can't forget to tell those stories. The most important content of all, I think. So yeah, it's a good thing to remember. I'm curious, have you shared the recipe with your staff or is it one of the things that only you make? They make it now too. Yep. That was a, that was a tough one to pass on, but they make it now and they're like really particular about it. And they're so proud of themselves when it's like a really tall, beautiful, thick dough base as we all are. (laughs) Well, in reading about you and it's, there was a point in time where you discovered that you could no longer eat dairy. And I just wanted to know what that moment was like for you. Was it just an easy switch or, excuse me, was it more of a profound moment of, okay, what do I do now? Um, it was a little bit of both because I just didn't want to feel sick anymore. And so it was like, I have to make the switch now. Um, but it was also because I rely so much on treats as a thing that just makes me happy in life. I was like, what am I going to do now? Because I was trained in French pastry and, my grandma used butter and everything. And my mom used butter and everything. Like, what am I going to do? And so I just started doing like a lot of research. I was in a job at that time where I had a lot of time at a desk and I did a lot of research during that time and decided that making a blog and starting a blog would be a way that I could kind of keep researching and share my, my findings and my research with other people. Can you, so from that research, do you mind sharing with our listeners what some of your favorite dairy subs are? Yeah, sure. So I have found that a lot of people, when they, when they start talking about gluten-free and dairy-free and vegan, it becomes more of a conversation about health. And yes, health is included. Like I want to feel better, but I'm not looking for like lower sugar options or anything like that. So I found that it really hard to to find recipes to even start from that were like full sugar with regular sugar. Like I still wanted sugar. I still wanted like fat. I wanted like good actual pastries. Um, and so one, one thing that I always tell people is just because you're doing dairy-free or gluten-free or whatever, don't skimp on the fat and sugar. Like I like that stuff and I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not ashamed of it, but so I always look for like full fat coconut milk, I think is a great one. Um, we use almond milk in the store. I also really love, um, coconut milk that you can get like in the half gallon containers. I think that's really nice. Um, I really love coconut oil. I think that non-hydrogenated vegetable shortening is really great. It's, I, I was using, um, like earth balance for a while and it wasn't my favorite because I thought it imparted sort of a margarine flavor, which I really don't like. So I tried working with um, vegetable shortening just to see what it would be like. And I liked it a lot better. And because I'm not looking for like specifically like a diet friendly or health friendly approach, I was like, you know what, if shortening tastes better then that's what I'm going to use. I use a lot of nut fats too. So yeah, lots of fat. On this topic of substituting, 
Um, we have a listener question from Linguisa. Um, which gluten-free flours do you like the best and do you change them depending on if you're doing bread, cookies, or pastries? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, at the bakery, we use a few different blends. Um, if we're doing cookies, I really like a sorghum-based blend. And there's one that's made with Nebraska sorghum, actually, and the blend is called New Life, N-U-L-I-F-E. And they are based in Kansas, and they have the, their sorghum all-purpose all flour blend is really incredible for cookies. Um, I find sorghum to be a very soft flour. There's a lot of rice in that mix as well. Not a lot of gum. That's also really good with chocolate cake. Not so good with like white or yellow cakes because sorghum does have like a a sort of a brown brown tinge to it. So like that's just not an appealing color for cake for like a white cake. I really like Pamela's all-purpose gluten-free flour for cakes. It's really, really finicky, but if you learn how to use her, we call her Pam around here. If you learn how to work with Pam well, um, she does a really great like white cake and you just have to be very careful not to overwork Pam because she gets very upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pam can be a real jerk sometimes. We just have to be, treat her with a lot of kindness and respect. Um, and then Bob's Red Mill Baking 1-to-1 -one -one Blend is really good for um, for shorter items, like a sh with a shorter crumb, like pound cakes or um, what else do we use Bob's for? It's really good for like crust and that kind of thing. But yeah, those are... And then we use almond flour for something that doesn't require a lot of structure, but those are kind of the three that we, that we use. And so new life is sorghum. Bob's is mostly different kinds of rice flours with a little bit of not very much gum. And then Pamela's has the most gum and it's more of a potato based blend. But I always try to recommend to people that if you're trying to learn how to bake gluten-free at home, you should buy these pre-made blends because you can, it's a much better, it's much more affordable to buy these in small quantities than it is to buy all of the individual ingredients to make your own blend. I know that I ended up with so many unused packages of guar gum and xanthan gum and rice flour of every kind that um, my pantry was, just, and in my bakery, things were just falling out everywhere. And I wasted so much money, maybe not wasted, maybe that's not the right word. I spent so much money trying to find what I loved, where with these pre-made blends, I feel like you can spend 10 to $15 to get a small quantity of it. See if you like it. And if you don't like it, then you're, you're only out like that one physical container and that amount of money and you can move on and try something else. I think this is great to hear from you because as somebody who's still super new with gluten-free experimentation, it, it makes it a lot more approachable to feel like I can buy a blend and have good results versus have to go full-blown it feels like scientist to make my own blend. Yeah. And the, I did the same thing. And I think that I'm programmed so much to be like, everything is from scratch. And I, I very much believe that, but I ended up spending so much money to make blends that I really didn't like and that didn't work for me. And so once I started trying ones and finding success with blends that were already made and already certified gluten-free, the the process became so much easier and I want people to be successful. I don't want them to get frustrated. That's awesome. Um, okay. So your crumble buns, I'm curious, are those gluten-free? 
We do a gluten-free version of them, but they started um, just as our vegan buns. The crumble buns are incredible. Can I just like explain them really quick? Yeah, we need to hear our questions. (laughs) That's one of our questions. We need to hear the details of them. And then we also had a listener question about them. Wandering Whisk on Instagram said, yay, my girl Angela, ask her about the crumble buns and any tips on recreating them at home. So we want to hear about them. And then if it's something that you think is a home baker worthy. Oh yeah. So crumble buns um, actually started because it was like the holiday season, I think three years ago, and I had a bunch of cranberry preserves left from some project. And I was like, well, I need to use these. And so I had some extra dough and I just like cut a chunk of dough, a sweet roll dough off and like put the the preserve in the middle. I was like, oh, this is really good. But it was just like really bready. So now I do like, it's like a cinnamon roll technique, just like rolling it out, spreading fat and Um, I use sugar and like granulated sugar instead of brown sugar. I don't use any cinnamon. And then you roll it up like a cinnamon roll, slice off your, your buns. And I let them proof once. And then I punch down the centers and fill them with preserves and top it with crumble, pop it in the oven. And I glaze them when they come out. So it's like a swirled bun that has really amazing filling. So we'll do like, Lemon curd, lime curd, we did cherry preserves, strawberry thyme preserves, berry, rhubarb. We've done everything under the sun. They're really incredible. I'm so doing this. I have so many preserves. I go through moments of just canning everything in sight and then I have to stop because the pantry's overflowing. And now I'm like, what do I do with yeah. all this stuff? So you, th- thank you. This is a great way to use them and so delicious and special. I don't have any preserves, so I just need to road trip to Nebraska. <laughs> yes, you should. Or you can go um, up to Sacramento and get <laughs> some preserves there. Yep. <laughs> I'll bring you some. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so delicious. I wish you were closer. So They're pretty delicious. They're my favorite for sure. So tell us more about how Goldenrod Pastries came to be. So it really started when I... Um, when I started my blog and was just publishing recipes and stories about like my journey through dairy-free baking. And so I published that blog publicly in May, 2014. And that summer, and I was working in, I was a writer for a biotech company. And so I started getting a lot of orders through social media, mostly Instagram. And so I was baking before work and after work and doing deliveries and grocery runs over my lunch hour and all weekend. And so I kind of realized that there was a hole in the market. So I started looking for a space and long story short, found the first one that I had looked at and it became available maybe four months after I found it. And I signed my lease January 2015, and I was open almost exactly a year after my blog started. And I just knew that that if I didn't do this, if I didn't open this business in Lincoln, somebody else was going to beat me to it. It just felt like there was a lot of energy surrounding it. So I I moved as quickly as I could, and um, I didn't. I hadn't saved any money as I had hoped that I would at my full time job, and I don't come from money, so I went to a bank and I finally found a bank with somebody who believed in my vision. And I started with a very small amount of money and I was the only employee because 
I just thought I was going to bake and have a nice time and talk to customers and chill out. But on my opening night, I had over a thousand people come through. Wow. (laughs) So I was like, all right, what is happening? What am I going to (laughs) do? Um, it was crazy. People really turned out and, I had every member of my family helping. My plan for opening night was that I was just going to mingle with people and that my husband was going to ring people up. But I was behind the counter. My sister, mom, and brother-in-law and husband were behind the counter. My dad was greeting people and holding the door open. And that that was just like an opening night with four hours of business. And um, oh it was a little terrifying, but I mean, the thing is like, I included people on my journey the whole way. I told them everything that was going right, going wrong, sharing the whole story with them along the way. And I think they just kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. And honestly, I am not, I, in a way I I'm very proud of the first couple of months, but in a way I'm not because I was so inexperienced. I said, I'll be the only employee. This is going to be great. Well, I couldn't keep up with anything. I was selling out within a couple of hours every single day. And the product I knew wasn't as good as it could be. But I was just doing the best I could. I couldn't believe that that I had customers. You know, I just thought this was going to be a sweet little corner bake shop. And it is, but it's a lot busier than that, than what I thought it would be. So I, I had to learn pretty quickly what it was like to hire people, manage people, keep people, and, and grow. And... Um, I have learned a lot. I've learned that online reviews are, you know, one in a million. And um, you just have to have to keep fighting every day. I think it's really cool how you didn't know exactly how it was going to go, but you still jumped in. There's a huge lesson in there. For people like me, sometimes I'm an over-researcher and it, it almost like cripples me. And it's cool for me to hear that you jumped in, kind of had this very positive surprise of huge demand and then had to do some on the job learning and, and it's really worked out. It's a, it's a very inspiring thing to hear about. I just think that uh, somebody told me once that perfectionism is procrastination and that sticks with me a lot whenever I'm working on something. And I knew that I just had to go for it. And even after I got like some negative reviews online, I still just like got up every day went to work and tried to do better. I think that's, that's what we always have to do. I think that's awesome. Otherwise you don't get better. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've experienced exactly. both ways. Yeah. yeah. Where I've gotten negative feedback and let it cripple me. And then other ways where it's, I've plowed through and it's certainly better the experience when you plow through. There were definitely days where I wanted to stay in bed and cry, but I knew that I had to open those doors. So you just show up and do what you can. Yeah. It takes a lot of bravery, but, and then, then if you didn't do it, if you just did stay home, then nothing would change. Nothing would grow. Nothing, no one would get to enjoy these things. And I think so much is lost on the the journey of growing. And we're also focused on the the perfect product at the end, but that takes time. And that, that journey is, is so special. And I'm so it is. congratulations yeah. on what all you're achieving. Thank you so much. It's a really, really fun journey. And I have an amazing team now. I haven't talked about them, but I think that I would really be remiss if I talked about my bakery and anything I'm doing without talking about them. They have taught me so much. And my business is, this bakery is doing so well because 
and we're not getting those negative reviews anymore um, because I have an amazing team of really honest, hardworking women. I'm so proud to be a part of the team that I'm a part of. We're very open with each other. I've worked in kitchens where, you know, we don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about what's hard for us. And that can be really, like you said, crippling. And I think it's important, especially in this industry, to talk about the way that we're feeling and to praise people. And, you know, mistakes happen in every industry. And unfortunately, in the food industry, people are punished a little bit more severely for them. And I think that at Goldenrod, I'm so proud of the way that my team works together and the way that they praise and honor and inspire each other and me. And I I couldn't be happier with the team that I have. They're really awesome. It sounds like a very special place that you've created. Um, Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point too about the food industry, how criticism can sometimes be a little more harsh than other places. And the whole idea of reviews also is it's, it's like a weird anonymous way to like stick it to someone and there's real people behind there. So I think that's kind of something also important just for everybody to keep in mind and listen. So absolutely. And everybody has off days and I think there's so much pressure in this industry. And I think it's almost like glorified in, in a way. And I think that we have to remember that these are real people people who are just trying to like live their lives and make a living and that they deserve respect as well. Totally. It doesn't have to be Hell's Kitchen to be a great kitchen, you know? (laughs) Speaking of pressure, I don't know how on earth you all did competition show. I, I would... I would just crumble under that pressure. I don't know how you did it. I you think would not do great. Knowing, you, would, you would. Yeah. I yeah. And also, knowing, yeah, not knowing mm-hmm. what the pressure would actually <laughs> feel like until the first time. And then I was like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> oh my gosh. I would just be a mess. That's so awesome. Once you're in too deep, you just have to make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Too late. Yeah. Yeah. I tell everybody that I definitely had moments where I was like evaluating, like, what would be more embarrassing if I run out of the tent or I stay and it goes horribly? <laughs> and ultimately, every time I decide it'd be more embarrassing if I just like sprinted out. So back to the baking, I wanted to know um, from you, what of your, which of your adaptations are you most proud of? I feel like that's a really unique process for a inclusive bakery or free from bakery. So we started gluten-free cinnamon rolls and like a bun program almost exactly a year ago. And that's something that I'm really, really proud of because there are so many people who are asking for it. They're really hard to find and to find a good one is really hard. So I have some customers who are not gluten-free and don't need to be, and they still choose our gluten-free buns because they really like them. And also just adding something like that to our program is such like a big step that I had to make sure that we were staffed for it and had the right people doing it. And, you know, buns are very like, as we've already talked about, and I think you can tell they're very like near and dear to me and that kind of dough is really near and dear to me. So to find a way to make that really delicious is, is really exciting. So um, we use Pam for that one as well. And she is less finicky with buns, but we still have to treat her with respect. And um, <laughs> Pam is so funny. But um, these buns, I think, are, are a real crowning achievement for us. Um, as well as I would say, gosh, I'm, 
I'm sitting here in the empty bakery looking at the empty pastry case, like running through all of the items. There's not one that I'm really not proud of. I think that we worked really, really hard to to get to a point where everything is really awesome. I love our um, banana bread and that is, is something that's super popular at the store. It's really, really moist. We do, I, I think in some, some ways you have to almost go over the top with things that are gluten-free or dairy-free to make them like even more special. So we do black and white sesame seeds and walnuts and granulated sugar on top of all of our banana bread loaves. And so not only is like the interior of it really special and moist with chunks of bananas, but we also make sure that the top is really special. So it's not just like your run of the mill, any kind of banana bread. It's something that has like special crunch and like different flavors, like from the sesame seeds that you wouldn't usually get somewhere else. So not only is it like a good gluten-free banana bread, but it's just like a special banana bread in general. Oh, I wish you were closer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious about, so you use Pam for the rolls and they're yeasted, right? Yes. Or the buns. And so now how do you treat Pam with respect? Is it not mixing her too much? Yeah, you can't mix her too much. She gets so upset. She gets really gummy. So there's a lot of gum in the in the basic Pam all-purpose baking flour. And um, it's so weird to make like a yeasted dough gluten-free because, you know, we're taught to keep mixing until you to keep kneading until you get to like pulling a window or until it feels a certain way. But like gluten-free, you just mix it until it's combined. And if you go any further, you're in trouble. So it's just, it's such an interesting thing to like use a paddle attachment instead of the hook. And it's a whole like interesting learning process, but um, it's really cool. Like, and so Bob's Red Mill is a really interesting flour. The gluten-free, the baking one-to-one gluten-free flour is really interesting because there is not a lot of gum in it. So you can just like mix that as long as you want. And when my new bakers start, they're like, okay, do I need to worry about over mixing it? And I was like, actually, this is one special case with gluten-free flour where A, you're not, you don't have too many gum, too much gum. You're not going to make it gummy and there's no gluten. So you can actually, if you need to walk away and grab something, this batter can just go on forever, (laughs) (laughs) which is such like an unusual concept with baking. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed that with the Bob's Red Mill because that's one that I use a good bit. And then um, have you used Thomas Keller's Cup for Cup? Because I feel like it also gets that like gelatinous thing going on. Is that similar to Pam? Is that kind of the same situation? So I have only used it once and I was accidentally sent it instead of another product. So I don't have a ton of experience, but I can see we've used it for cookies. And I guess I can see what you, you mean, but we haven't used it for cakes or anything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I used it for a cake batter and it was a chocolate cake oil base. So there was no creaming or anything like that. It's a very loose batter. And then when I went to pour it into the pan, it all stayed in one. Whoa. Like, like as one oh, big gross. blob. Like I felt like yeah. I could grab it. If oh. I would have reached in with my hand, I feel like I could have lifted the chocolate cake batter out almost. It's not quite, but it was that, um, it kind of like tightened up and became that way. But it's been really good in cookies. Like I really liked it in cookies, but then in cakes. So I was wondering if Pam was that same kind of. Um, yeah. Situation. So we don't use Pam for chocolate. For I know what kind of cake 
better you're talking about. And we can't use Pam for that because that happens, but we do use, um, half the bobs and half, um, the sorghum blend Okay, for that. I loved using sorghum flour when I was doing gluten-free baking. It's delicious. It's so good, right? It's so yeah, soft. That was my favorite. Well, speaking of gluten-free, we have some listener questions who have some questions. Okay. <laughs> of course. I'm ready. Um, at Sour House Baking... So, no. Sour... Sour Ho. Sour Ho. Sour Ho. No, it's the hardest <laughs> to read. I'm the worst at it. Thank you, Amanda. They would like to know, how would I make a gluten-free sourdough starter? Would I need to use commercial yeast? Is this even possible? So I don't... We don't do any bread, so I'm not the person to talk to about this, but... I have become good online buddies with her business name is Hell Yeah Gluten-Free and she's doing some really amazing gluten-free bread with starters. So I would recommend to this person to follow what Hell Yeah Gluten-Free is doing and she is really open sharing her methods and I would follow on there, pop, pop into her DMs and ask her. Wonderful. Thank you. But it is possible. Yeah, I just am not the person to answer it. That's good info. Okay, so we have a question from Angie Webb Creative. Hi, Angie. She's my friend in Atlanta. Um, super talent, oh. talented photographer for anybody who needs a photographer in Atlanta. Um, she says, I would like to know uh, what are good resources or rules of thumb for learning how alternate ingredients affect the chemistry of a recipe. I'd like to be able to sub out healthier ingredients in recipes, but sometimes I get scared because I don't know how it's going to affect the end product. So it kind of depends on what, what ingredient she's actually talking about, but I always just, I, I stick with the rule of thumb of trying one different ingredient per trial. So if you want to replace some applesauce with oil, but you also want it to be gluten-free, like do one or the other first. So then you can figure out which part isn't working well for you. Um, like if it's the gluten-free flour or if it's the oil replacement, or I would say if it depends what healthier means to you, but if that's like a dairy alternative, you can, in my experience, you can almost always do like a, a straight swap with dairy milk to canned coconut milk because they have a similar fat content. Um, I'm not sure if that's helpful, but it just kind of depends on what specific ingredient you are talking about. I think that's very helpful. And the, and the idea of like anytime altering a recipe, whether it's free from or not, just changing one at a time is such a great way to operate in the kitchen and really hard. I know, Jeremiah, we've talked about this before. Like sometimes it's like, but I want to add this. I'm going to take this out. I want to switch this and let's just do it all at one time. But when you do that, then you make it. If it doesn't go well, you don't even learn anything because you're like, well, so changing all of that didn't work, but I have no idea what the problem was. So I think that is great advice. At Brie2211 wants to know about eggs. She's allergic to eggs, um, but an avid baker. How do you get egg-free cakes to be airy and fluffy without them? That's a really good question. So it depends on which one, if you're looking for chocolate or vanilla. And we have a really good chocolate cake recipe that is similar to what you were just talking about, Amanda, that's the oil-based batter. There's no creaming. And I think that my sister actually sent this to me. I think that they're called depression era chocolate cake. And because there are no eggs, I don't know if yours had eggs in it or not, but if you look up depression era chocolate cake, it doesn't have eggs in it at all. So that would be a really good 
chocolate cake recipe for you to use. It's really spongy and really nice. Um, and as far as vanilla goes, our vanilla vegan cakes are tend to be a little bit denser. But if you use coconut milk, I feel like you want to find recipes that, that don't have egg replacers at all. So flax can make a really dense cake. So look for recipes that just use like coconut milk. I have found a really, really great recipe on Oh Lady Cakes blog that I really like. That's a coconut milk vanilla cake. That's probably the most similar to what we use, but I would just steer clear of anything that has flax or other egg replacers in it because it's going to give you kind of a gluey mess. That's a really good tip. I'm curious. Yeah, we try to not... Sorry, go ahead. I'm curious as a side note, have you had success with other baked goods with flax eggs? Because they give me fits. And I'm like, I swear I must just be doing it wrong because I see highly rated recipes using flax eggs and I just have not had success. Do you find that they work for other things? So we use flax as a replacer for sugar cookies sometimes, like as an egg replacer, but that's not something that's going to get super gluey. And we'll use it for one specific cake. It's an, um, it's an apple cake and it makes a really spongy cake. But other than that, we don't use it. And I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about like kind of health and alternative diet. So you, I have thought about this a lot because there are a lot of recipes with flax and other alternatives that get really high rating. But what are people looking for in the final product? What are they rating it on? Are they rating it on like, yes, this is edible or I'm a baker and I consider this a really nice cake. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think that like, I try to be really like cautious of like those ratings and like kind of see what people are saying about it. Like, oh, I was able to cut out all of the fat and eggs and still serve people a cake. Like that's great if that's your goal. But I think that like, what we're talking about, our goal is like a little bit different. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's true. Okay. Next question is from Ruthie underscore Thurston using sweeteners that don't affect the glycemic index, um, keto baking. She would like to use things like, I don't know how to pronounce this, erythritol, monk fruit blend, stevia, xylitol, and not sugar, honey, agave, molasses, coconut sugar, et cetera, because all of those affect the glycemic index a lot. So kind of as we're talking, I feel like this may not be our exact vein, but curious, do you have thoughts on this? Um, I, it's, not, it's not my area of expertise. She also would like Sorry. to know, no, gosh, it makes perfect sense. I've started getting a lot of questions about keto products in the bakery and, um, and that's just not something that we're focused on right now. There are a couple of paleo recipes that we have done that will turn out really well, but my goal is to make something that's like acceptable to my entire audience, not just people who are eating a certain way. And so those paleo recipes I would serve to everybody, but I haven't found a keto recipe yet that I feel like I can serve to all of my customers, if that makes sense. Absolutely. All right. So um, Sweet Life of a Baker would like to know, have you found a good dairy sub for your buttercream besides shortening? Um, That's a really great question. I think that that's probably the best one that has like the least amount of off flavor um, and holds up the best for what our customers need. 
we've used a little bit of palm shortening, but it's really hard to justify the cost of that um, for the kind of baking that we're doing and to make sure that it's like fair trade and everything is a big deal too. So before we do our last question, I'd love to know on your blog of your recipes, what would you love people to try? Ooh, on the blog. That's a great question. Trying to think. It's been a while since I've put recipes up there. Or if or what? you'd like to share, we could always have a flower hour exclusive and put it in our <laughs> show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so there actually, okay, here's a good one. So the peach coffee cake is actually on the blog. <gasps> I did a video collaboration. Yeah. I did a video with um, a, a local videographer that turned out really, really well. And he includes the recipe within the video. So that is on the blog. And I would say that is a really special blog post because the video was done so well and um, the recipe's there too. Definitely making it. Definitely. (laughs) I also typed into my phone as we were talking depression era chocolate cake. I was like, I need to uh, research this a little bit more too because that interests me. Um, No, that's funny. I didn't know that it was called that, but it makes sense that my sister called me one day and she was like, have you heard of depression era chocolate cake? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh yeah, it's vegan. Cool. That is so cool. I love when things are naturally inclusive. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. So before we send you on your way, we have our classic flower hour question that we love to ask is if you could bake for anyone dead or alive, who would you bake for and what would you bake for them? So I have been thinking about this because I, I thought it might come up. Um, I honestly, the first thing I thought of, I'm going to have to just go with, I would, my grandmother is no longer living who um, taught me the peach coffee cake. So I would make that for her. I was hoping you would say that. Me too. <laughs> this is like, I hope this Perfect. isn't like a sad note to go out on, but she, it was actually like the last thing she ate. <laughs> Aww. like my version of it. And um, like I took it to the hospital when she was in her final days and I would just like give anything to make it for her again because her version was not vegan and she always gave me crap for it, <laughs> but she loved it and would always tell me what I could have done better with it, which like she's an old school Polish woman. That's what they do. And I just like live for that. And so I would love the opportunity for, and I would just love to sit across from her and laugh and hear her tell me everything I could do better. I love it. I love it. I have a grandma. Yeah. Like that too. <laughs> and you're like, it's, she doesn't, it, it comes from a place of love and you just have to like sink into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's their love language. Well, thank you so much. This has been so helpful, so much fun. And, um, gosh, we've learned a lot. Haven't we, Amanda? A lot. I feel so full after this episode, uh, emotionally. And now I'm going to go fill my belly with coffee cake. (laughs) (laughs) This is so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I love this. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you on Instagram and hopefully someday in Nebraska. Yeah. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.